0: Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Hope that's all right. And uh, if you have your copy of God's word, if you'll turn to the book of Daniel chapter one, uh, I, I got a few things I need to get off my chest this morning. And I'm just going to let, you know, I got so worried about what I was going to preach this morning, I didn't even put any hair gel in my hair. I can't believe y'all let me walk around without no hair gel in my hair. Looked like I just rolled out of the bed. I and uh, so walked by my secretary. She never said a word. My wife, ain't nobody saying anything. They just they just let me come to church just any old way. And so I'm glad I remembered britches. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> And everybody said amen <laughs> and that is the truth praise God in the book of Daniel I want to read just one verse we've been talking the last couple of weeks on being a Daniel uh, in a world of culture shock and uh, and our world is in culture shock and uh, I'm going to read a verse of scripture here in a minute and then we're going to go to another passage but I believe we're living in an hour when men are shaking their fist at God and declaring that we don't need you, nor do we recognize you. That's the hour we're living in. I, um, I remember uh, back in November, and uh, I remember waking up on election day. Uh, I was in Philadelphia on election day. The night before we had done a Peaceably Gather had done a, uh, we had done a Wake Up America uh, f- uh, Facebook uh, live where several pastors preached for 10 or 15 minutes and, um, uh, at, in the evening and, um, and there was about, we had about 117,000 people that were, that were tuned in and watching the night before the election right there in our, na- right there at the birth of our nation and, uh, in Philadelphia. The original plan was that we was going to do it on the uh, the courtyard of the um, uh, the the uh, where they signed the Declaration of Independence and Independence Hall. And what happened was is that, uh, of course, it was cold. It was November, so it was cold. But the night the afternoon before, there had been so many protesters that were going through the streets of Philadelphia. Philadelphia had 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 some rioters that had gone through the city. But uh, when, the, when some of the protesters found out what, what uh, Peacefully gather was going to do, um, they had just threatened to disrupt it live, you know, being outside. And so uh, they made the decision to do it inside uh, in a hotel room on the inside instead of outside. And um, I remember thinking to myself, my goodness, how have we got to this place as a nation Where people are so hostile towards the things of God uh, that they would disrupt something like that. And uh, as I began to think, and as I began to mull over and think about that, I would thought back to the beginning of this pandemic. And um, I remember in March of 2020 when President Trump uh, had announced um, that he was going to call a National Day of Prayer. It was on, the, I believe, the 15th day of March, that he called a National Day of Prayer. It was a Sunday morning, actually, I remember it. And, um, and, and, and what I remember about that is that the administration got sued over calling a National day of prayer. And I thought, man, people have really gone crazy. And, uh, and as I begin to think that, that, that you know, we were really becoming a nation that has forgot its foundation. And to the point to where we are becoming um, almost to be revisionists of history, where you know uh, where we want to claim that our any aspect of our godly heritage is non-existent, and uh, that's why that's why I thank God for men like Ken Ham, um, who has created the Creation Museum in the Ark. And I thank God for men like David Barton. Uh, David Barton has purchased over 100,000 original documents. Uh, um, I mean, incredible documents. Original documents of the founding fathers. Uh, for the sole purpose of preserving American history. Just so that we, you have those original doc- documents, that they don't fall into the hands of someone who would um, have a malicious intent. I'm thankful for uh, the Green family who owns Hobby Lobby who took lawsuit money that they had received uh, from being sued by the Obama administration uh, for, not, uh, being, uh, for not providing abortion services to their employees. Um, they fought back and ended up countersuing the government and ended up winning. And what they did was they took the money and they built the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., which is an amazing place if you've not been there. It is three stories, three stories of just the history of the Bible. You, you, you have no idea uh, how the Word of God has had an impact on our nation. In literature, politics, every aspect of our nation, the Word of God has had a part on. And so... and. Uh, I thank God for men like that, that God has, has saying. And I was, uh, as I, last year, as I was meditating and praying as we were going through the pandemic in the, in March and April, and we as a church, you know, we shut down for, uh, I think it was like, uh, eight or 10 weeks, something like that. And we opened back up on mother's day of 2020 and, uh, but through those weeks and praying and meditating on the word, um, The the Lord spoke to me, and he gave me a word. He spoke a word to my spirit. And uh, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and drop this in my spirit. And um, I wanted to share it with you this morning. I I have shared a little bit about it before, but I wanted to share this morning for a few minutes on it. And there's a word that I'm going to give you, and then I'm going to unpack it um, to you this morning. And the word is the word shock. And uh, And it's an interesting word because the the Lord dropped that in my spirit. And I thought to myself, that's what's happened to this nation is that people are in shock. And uh, matter of fact, it's not just been just what happened with the pandemic. There's been a series of things that have gone on that has knocked our nation into what we call shock. And I thought it was an interesting word. And I began to look the word up. And the word means a sudden upsetting or um, surprising event or experience. That's what the word means. There's also another definition. It means an acute uh, medical condition associated uh, with a fall in blood pressure caused by a sudden event as a loss of blood, severe burn, bacterial infection, allergic reaction are a sudden emotional stress and um, being in shock is marked by uh, cold, uh, pallid skin, irregular breathing, rapid pulse, and dilated pupils. And The body is thrown into an abnormal response by the shock. It begins to manifest symptoms that is outside of its normal function. So when someone is in shock, they begin to manifest uh, things that is outside uh, the body's normal function, such as fainting or becoming weak. When people are in shock, they, become, uh, they faint or they become weak. Um, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said that these culture shocks are disruptive attacks of the enemy to disrupt the last day's church that God wants to raise up to gather a harvest like never before seen in our time. And so over the last 20 years, we have seen uh, incredible events that has thrown our nation and thrown in people into what I call spiritual shock or the church into spiritual shock. This place of of spiritual shock at the CGIA conference this week and talking and gathering with pastors, one of the things that I learned is that many of the pastors were talking that during COVID, they have lost 40% of their attendance. Church attendance is down 40% as a church across the nation. And, um, um, and that giving is down almost 50% across the nation. And, um, I have a friend, he pastors a couple of churches. He has three locations, and he has one location that before the pandemic, the church was running 3,500, and now on Sunday morning, he said, I'm lucky if there's 1,200 that comes on Sunday morning, and he said it's been such a drastic change financially that it's almost like people are in just shock. Well, you know, I want to talk a little bit about culture shock this morning. And um, and our con- our current contemporary culture brings new challenges to our Christian faith with each passing day, month, and year. And um, and I want to read to you this passage of scripture in Daniel chapter one. We covered some of this chapter one last week and um, talking about. Um, uh, we talked about a culture's greatest goal and. Um, But I want to read verse 8. It said, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. If you would, turn over to the book of Judges. And I want to read two two verses of Scripture there that I'm going to incorporate here in just a few minutes. And um, Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, and then Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, it said, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. And then Ruth, chapter one and verse one says, "Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land, and so I wanted to connect those two verses with you this morning, and then we're going to dive into it. Daniel was a young man that grew up in um, his Judeo culture, traditional values of that day, his Jewish values." He found himself, all of a sudden he finds himself in a, in a culture foreign to everything he had known. His value system, truth claims, his moral compass was challenged repeatedly at every turn. And his world, uh, his world is now a world of pluralism and paganism. And as I think of Daniel, Daniel could have, blamed the, uh, he could have blamed these challenging circumstances on societal ills, he could have blamed it on uh, the court systems of his day, he could have blamed it on the government, the media, uh, the educational systems, and any number of things. But what's interesting as I read the book of Daniel and I read about Daniel, uh, it's as if Daniel is stepping out of the scripture and into our modern culture. To show us some principles that will enable us not only to exist in the culture we live in today, but this, 24th century, this 21st century world that we're in right now, but also to engage it and thrive in a world that has been shocked. Not only has the church been shocked, I think the world has been shocked. And we find ourselves in a world, um, like Daniel, we find ourselves in a world um, that has uh, passed from a Judeo-Christian culture in, in many ways and has become an anti-Judeo-Christian culture. And um, one, can we really expect to change a crumbling culture around us? Can we really expect that this morning? Can we really expect God get to give us the ability to change a crumbling society that is around us this morning. It's interesting to watch the church in various ways respond to and address our culture today, especially the last year and a half. And by no means is this any judgment on the church, but what we have seen, I believe is we've saw some compromise allow the, the penetrating pluralism philosophy of the day to subtly take away the focus from the exclusiveness of who Christ is and who Jesus is. How many know there's only one way to heaven? Y'all believe that today? Y'all are in church, right? Y'all believe that today? There's one way to heaven? The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, who's the man, Christ Jesus. There's only one way to heaven, y'all. You can't get to heaven by being good. You can't go on granny's curtail. You can't go on grandpa's faithfulness. The only way you get there is by accepting and believing in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and him saving you and forgiving you of your sins. Others, some have compromised. Others have condoned the culture. It's much easier to adapt to it and condone the alternative lifestyles, not only in a few But also in the pulpit. You know, not just condoning the lifestyles of others. We condone what's going on in in the life of people. We condone it. We don't engage it. We don't challenge it. And we even allow it to permeate even into the pulpit where we allow men to live any way they want, but we still buy their books, right? Come on, we still send them money, we still watch them, we still quote them, but yet they can live any way they want without having any responsibility uh, to God or nor are they held accountable for those things. Others who condemn the culture. The culture to some people, uh, we respond by beating uh, our Bibles a little harder over their head and screaming a little louder. And, but thank God we have an example like Daniel Well, we can learn to confront the culture and engage it by speaking truth in love, right? Remember last week, we ended uh, the message last week talking about the power of truth and grace, grace and truth. If you only have truth and no grace, that's mean, right? If you have grace and no truth, that's meaningless. But if you have grace and truth, that's a whole lot. God can change people through grace and truth. And so I, I just out of curiosity when the Lord spoke that to me last year, I just wanted to know, you know, how do you treat those who are in shock? So how, how, how do, how do med- the medical profession treats those in shock? We have several nurses that are in our church, and I'm sure they could give me a good explanation of that. but this is what I and if, if I'm wrong, y'all tell me later. but what I read was is that those who are in shock, you know, normally you can handle the shock by giving them by giving them fluids and uh, uh, giving them fluids and but those who are in severe shock, many of them don't come out of it until you give them a blood transfusion. They literally need a blood transfusion, and so. Um, Sometimes they say the symptoms of severe shock is is an eye stare, and the vision is the anxiety and uh, aggravation. There is the they're, they're confused. There's a confusion about them. There is the uh, uh, they're sweating and chest pain. And I thought to myself, that's interesting because we look at those symptoms in the natural and we're able to identify people who are in severe shock, but really when you look at it, that's kind of how a lot of church people look. <laughs> I've seen the, the, the glaring stare, and the stare would represent people without vision, whose vision is lost, the ability to, to, to identify and to look. The anxiety and aggravation represents lack of peace. I mean, in this pandemic, people have been more fearful than I've ever seen a generation be. And I'm not saying there's not cause at times, but the truth is the fear has and anxiety has run rampant in the hearts of people. Confusion, a lack of identity, and knowing who you are, what you stand for, what you believe. And the sweating and chest pain, have to do, the chest pain has to do with the condition of the heart. I mean, what a picture spiritually of the church, the church living in a place of shock, culture shock, by the events that have taken place in our nation and in our lives around us. And we see this happening. Francis Schaeffer said this. Francis Schaeffer, uh, the 20th century cultural prophet, he was an amazing man, a great thinker, if you ever have any of his books, I have several of his books. He's a little too deep for me, but he might not be for you, Doctor Sean. And um, but he said this. He said he said several decades. He said this several decades ago. He he predicted we would pass from a Judeo-Christian world to a post-Christian society. It would not be long. That is what he said. He said, "We will." He said this. He said that America will become a schizophrenic nation. Is what he said. That's what he prophesied 70 years ago. That we would become a schizophrenic nation. And um, and and as I thought about it, you know, I, I don't think he's wrong. I think we've kind of become that way. You say, "Well, what do you mean?" Well. In recent years, let's just look at some things that have happened in recent years. Billy Graham prays at a presidential inauguration, right? And then the same year, students are punished for praying at their graduation and praying on the football field, right? In the same year. And in, in one year, we watch our presidents and other leaders take office, take the oath of office by putting what? Their hand on the Bible, right? But a school administrator gets fired in the same year for opening up the word of God to counsel a wayward student who needed instruction and guidance. Y'all with me this morning? Does that not sound schizophrenic as a nation? We carry out law and order in our streets and at the same time we teach that there is no moral absolutes. And so this is what we're called as a church and as a people to engage. This is what we're called to, to, uh, to address. I mean, this is our hour. This is the hour when we've got to start engaging our culture. And we can't be like those that compromise We can't be like those that condone, and we can't be like those that condemn. We have to be like Daniel. and As he gives us the instruction, as he steps out of the pages of this book, there are principles that I believe that are given in the book of Daniel that will help us stand in the hour that we live in. So many Christians want to hunker down and remain in isolation Instead of, instead of, of, uh, instead of assimilating into our culture, you know what? We are now engaging a society that no longer is asking if the Bible is true; it's asking if it's even relevant. I mean, that's the hour we're in. They're no longer asking, is the Bible true? But the question is, is the Bible even really relevant? And, uh, and the events that have happened at the first part of the 21st century, these last 21 years, have had an indolable impact on us, on our, on our society. Think for a moment. Let's just think a moment for some of the things that have, that have come through. Y'all remember, we started this decade out, by Y two K, y'all remember that? How many guys? How many some Y two K folks in here? And uh, our, I mean, our nation. I mean, people were f- afraid that you know, banks were going to close down. We lived near a nuclear plant, and everybody thought that they were going to melt down, and that the na- that the whole nation was going to be you, you wouldn't be able to get your money, you would not be able to transact. I mean. Uh, People hoarded food and hoarded all kinds of stuff. Y'all remember when all that began? And, uh, and so we had Y2K. A year and a half later, we had 9-11. We had economic collapse in 2008 and 2009. We've had pandemics with SARS, swine flu, uh, which my sister passed away with, swine flu, Ebola, and now coronavirus. We've had technology changes over the last 21 years. Can you imagine the technology that has changed in 21 years? You remember at the beginning of the, of the 21st century, you had a flip phone, right? Y'all had a flip phone? And uh, I had one of those Nextel walkie-talkie phones, you know? It was a flip phone, but you could walkie-talkie somebody, you know? And so, <laughs> see, <you laughs> don't laugh at me. Your phone was like that too, and some of y'all were cool, and you had the Razer phone. Y'all had the Razers. If you were cool, you had a Razer. I wasn't cool. But, um, um, and so technology has changed. And and 2007 and eight, the iPhone began to come out. iPhone, and then there's iPhone 1 through 13 now, I think. I think the, the new one, iPhone 13, has come out. And technology has changed in every aspect. Instead of those big, clumpy computers we now have, You know, our phones, and we have laptops, and we have iPads, and technology has changed abundantly. Our travel has been uh, absolutely invaded. I mean, uh, if you try to travel, I mean, just going through airports and going from one place to another can be a circus, right? Going through TSA, going through uh, getting on a plane, getting off a plane, doing all the stuff that goes on with all the travel, uh, governmental intrusion. We've had moral setbacks over the last 20 years. We've, we've had uh, uh, the abortion. We've had gay marriage was legalized in 2015. We've had the transgender movement. All of these things in the, encompassed with coronavirus, all of this has put our culture into culture shock. Daniel found himself in a world that was formed to everything that he had known as a youngster. He stepped, and and we're asking him to step out of the scripture this morning and help us. And so, how do we be a Daniel and engage a culture that has to be confronted? And do we awaken from the shock the culture has put us in this morning? How do we awaken out of that culture shock? Daniel engaged and confronted, he did not let his circumstances dictate. His purpose, or derail him for his purpose in God. You know, I don't know about your house, but not so much anymore, but it used to be in my house, there used to be this source of contention that was in my house. And I don't know, maybe, maybe yours too. It's not no more. But there, we used to have this source of contention in my house. It was called, Who Was Going to Control the remote. <laughs> I guess we're the only one that's ever had that problem. And uh, and so that source of who is going to control the remote in the house. Well, I figured out how to answer that. I just bought another TV. And and so we don't have that problem anymore. But the hold the controls and circumstances of life gives us a sense of control, right? When we make our own decisions, when we when we feel like we have a sense of control in our life, we feel like we're You know, we make our own decisions. We feel like we're in control. But what happens when the controls of your life now are out of your hands? Things are implemented in your life that's requiring you to do certain things or you don't have control to just go anywhere you want or do whatever you want or to act, you know, all of a sudden people are making life decisions for you that sit in our Capitol buildings, that sit in our White House, that sit on our courts. They're making decisions for us and how we are to engage and how we are to... uh, And Daniel is a young man who suddenly finds himself in a situation which he has no control. He's out of the comfort zone of what he's known. He's taken from uh, what he's known and he's put into a pagan world, a Babylon, the remote control has been jerked out of his hands. And Daniel, he's living in a time. He's living in a where there's a. Re, he's got a real job. He's in the marketplace of Babylon. He's surrounded by men and women in his position uh, every day, like you and me, who are hostile toward his belief system and toward his faith. Many of you go to work every day, like Daniel. Many of you step into the secular workplace. Um. Our young people go to schools, and they will be confronted with value systems that are, that are foreign to what they hear on a Sunday morning. You go to a job that has, you know, that's constantly uh, ramming against your personal convictions. And so, how do we survive the culture shift or the culture shock? And so let's let Daniel speak this morning. What can we take from Daniel's life? What what advice for us does Daniel have for us this morning? I'm going to give you a couple things, and actually I'm going to give you one, and then I don't know if I'll get to the rest of them this morning, but I do want to get to this. First of all, number one, Daniel would say this, Don't give in, but be resistant. You hearing what I'm saying? Don't give in. Be resistant this morning. Be resistant to what the world is trying to do to you this morning. As a church, as the people of God, we've got to learn to build a resistance to what the enemy is trying to do and how he's trying to attack our values, how he's trying to attack our families, attack our homes, our belief systems. And like Daniel, we have to learn to be resistant. It said in verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart. I don't believe, I don't believe Daniel is speaking here softly here in these opening verses. I believe he's saying passionately, don't give in, be resistant this morning. In other words, he draws a line. Notice he does not draw a line on non-essentials. He draws a line when it comes to the word of God. This is the point at which we resist. In other words, Daniel didn't care that they were trying to teach him Babylonian about Babylonian gods or they were changing his name. That's not where he drew the line. He was drawing the line where the word of God draws the line. And we shouldn't just be fighting against our culture just for the sake of picking a fight. But we should be drawing a line in our culture where the word of God draws a line in our culture. Where the word draws a line, we should draw a line. Where the word says no, we should say no. Where the word tells us to resist, then that's where we should resist. And Daniel had purposed that in his heart. He didn't give in. To the world around him, he made some, he made some tough decisions, and we too, in times like this, will have to make some tough decisions in order to see a picture of the biblical background of what was taking place here in Daniel, you, you'll need a little background, but I, I want to go somewhere for just a moment and I, I want to be, be led this I wasn't going to go this way, but I feel like I need to go this way this morning. I read to you judges chapter 21 and verse 25, where it said, where there was no king in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And then you move right into the book of Ruth, where it says, and there came a famine in the land. And so you have this famine in the land. In the time of the judges, you have this this period where there was no king in Israel. There was no authority. There was no ruler. There was no one who, was, who appeared to be on the throne. Even God wasn't even on the throne. But here's, here's what I want to talk about this morning and where I want to go. In talking about Daniel, when Daniel says, don't give in, but continue to resist. Here, here's, here's what I believe is happening. I believe our, high, our culture has hijacked some words and manipulated some words. I believe the Babylonian spirit is working hard to change our identity and our language. And, uh, and I'm going to take some words that I think our culture has tried to hijack this morning and put it back in right context for you this morning. Because I believe there are some words that our culture is trying to hijack and steal and change the meaning of them and, and trying to bring this misunderstanding and conception about what they really, really mean. It's society trying to change our culture, trying to change the language of God's word and change the language of who God is. Is that all right? Can I do that this morning? Can I just take a couple of words that we need to pull back into Into the word of God is truth this morning, right? Hallelujah. And I just want to say this, just as a side note, just to start it all off. The rainbow belongs to God, by the way. It was his idea, and it's his. Just Just as a side note, in case you were wondering where I stood on that. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get I wanna get some words right for us this morning, context. And if you misunderstood them, then it's it's because you want to this morning. Number one, one of the words I believe is that culture is trying to hijack in our in our culture is the word love, right? I believe that's a word that this culture is trying to hijack and change the very definition of what it is this morning. (laughs) All right. I told you I had something to say. I had something to say anointing on me this morning. People say, well, Jesus loves everybody. Well, who said he didn't? (laughs) Right? Don't you hear that? Jesus loves everybody. Well, we know Jesus loves everybody. God loves everybody. Nobody said that he didn't. How many of y'all have children, right? You love them, right? Y'all love your children? How many of you agree with your children on everything that they do? (laughs) I take by the chuckle, that's a no. (laughs) See... Let me just say this, love is not the same as permissiveness, love is not the same as agreement, and love is not the same as approval. God does love everybody, but God doesn't always permit everything. God doesn't always approve of everything, and God doesn't always agree with everything. So don't tell me you love your kids, but you let your kids play in the street, right? Somebody, people used to say to me all the time when you witness, people would say, one of the pushback you get is that, well, God loves everybody. How could a loving God send people to hell, right? Y'all heard that? I said it, hell. That's right. There is a heaven. There is a hell. Some people go to heaven and some people without Jesus will go to hell. Hell. Right? People don't go to hell because God doesn't love them. People go to hell because they don't love God. (laughs) It has nothing to do with God loving them. The question is, do they love God? And so this word love has been hijacked, and you hear it all the time. Love wins. Well, love does win. Love has already won. It won 2,000 years ago on a cross when Jesus died for us all. Love is not winning, it has already won. It has already conquered death, hell, and the grave. And love has already been poured out on you and me in the greatest expression of God's love, which is free will for you and I to have the ability to choose to love him or not love him this morning. I choose to love him this morning. People say love don't have boundaries. Love does have boundaries. God gives love for boundaries. Love doesn't have boundaries. Turn to your wife and tell her that love doesn't have boundaries. Tell her that you're going to get yourself a girlfriend. <laughs> That'll go over real well, won't it? couple black eyes and a coma. Right? <laughs> that tells me love has boundaries, right? Love does have boundaries. Who sets those boundaries? God sets those boundaries. And so... Love has been hijacked. Love has given, been given this false sense that God approves everything. God is in agreement with everything. That everything that just because you say you love, God, it's, it, it's permissible. Well, it's not God. Because God loves us, he sets the boundaries of love for our life. And so we take back love this morning. Another word I want to deal with while I'm at it this morning Is uh, this is my favorite? This is the one I'm I'm headlocking and taking back. I'm pulling out of the jaws of the devil this morning, and it's the word judge. (laughs) Come on, y'all! Y'all help me. If you've engaged in the culture at all, you have heard you have heard judge not lest you be judged. (laughs) Right? Have you not heard that? See, the reason why there's a struggle there is because the absence of doctrine and in our culture, people will reach into the Bible and just grab any scripture and just throw it out at whatever they want to target it at. Judge not, lest you be judged. Let me tell you what, that's an excuse. It's an excuse. It's, a, it's an advocation of responsibility to make a decision. It, it's, it's judge not lest you be judged. Don't judge me for what I'm doing. What it's doing is saying that I don't want to make a stand on anything. It's uh, uh, I don't want to get on the side of an issue. Um, and the scripture, you know, are we to judge? Well, God doesn't give us the right to judge the in, intrinsic value of a person to God. He doesn't, he does, we don't have the right to esteem uh, someone to be lovable or someone to be uh, invaluable, less than you and I in the eyes of God. We've not been given the right to judge the value of an individual, whether they're lovable, whether they're redeemable, whether they're whether they they're, they can be used by God, whether God continues to love them, whether they have value in life, we've not been given that right to judge. Right? Come on, you with me? Right? Why? Because he's got the whole world in his hands. Right? We are the world. We are the people. Right? Y'all remember that song? We are the world. We are the people. It's love to make a brighter place, whatever. Every day, listen, every day you and I make judgments. And uh, not on the worth of people. We make judgments every day. Now, y'all don't let your kids just play with everybody, do you? Right? You don't let your kids just play with everybody? You don't just eat at every restaurant, do you? Well, we probably do in Madison because there's only a few. (laughs) The Bible tells us even prophecy is supposed to be judged. Right? Even prophecy is supposed to be judged. Matter of fact, there's a book called Judges. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Even Jesus said to some, he said, you're nothing but vipers. You're of your father the devil. When Simon the sorcerer tried to buy the Holy Ghost, Paul called him a son of Satan. As a leader of every anything in life, you're called to discern and to make a judgment of what is good and what is not good. Listen. I'm going to make a judgment this morning. I'm going to make the judgment that there are some things that are evil. (laughs) I'm just judging it. There are some things that are just evil. (laughs) I mean, we all know, right? I'm not judging. I'll let God judge whether or not the people are evil. But I'm going to judge the action of evil. Because some things are just evil. Abortion's evil. I'm just going to tell you. And uh, I, was, I was thinking this week, how many of y'all remember the Boston bomber? The young man that blew up at the, uh, the uh, Boston Marathon. And I, I can't remember how many people got killed. And uh, do you remember when he was on trial and he had an opportunity to speak? And do you remember what he said? He said, he said this, he said, he said, uh, my only response is, is that I, ho- I hope that Allah has mercy on those who were killed. That's what he said. I hope, I hope that Allah has mercy on those that were killed. In other words, he was a Muslim and he was hoping that Allah had mercy on those that he brutally murdered. And I thought to myself, here, here's a young man that wants to be Muslim, but yet his law and Muslim, Islam says that if you murder, you're to be dragged out and hung. And I thought really, if he really lived by his law, they'd be dragging him out in the streets and hanging him. Y'all scaredy cats today, ain't you? Sometimes we can be afraid to speak up for our faith because these false interpretations of what love and to judge is. Now we live in a culture, it's fair game to be hostile towards Christians and not anybody else. It's a spirit. I'm telling you, it's a spirit. It's a spirit, and we're going to get to that, what that spirit is in a minute. Listen, Christians can be getting their heads cut off and nothing is said. But when a journalist gets his head cut off, now everybody cares. There are entire Christian communities that are being overthrown, even as we speak in the Middle East. Here's, here's, you know, the homosexual community is mad at Christians, right? I mean, the homosexual community is mad at Christians, But here's the thing, I never hear the homosexual community saying anything about Islam. (laughs) Do you know that if you live in an Islamic nation and you're homosexual, that that's punishable by death? (laughs) But you never hear, you never hear. (laughs) I mean, we hear... All of these movements that become mad at the church. I mean, the Me Too movement gets upset at the church. The church is just a male-dominated world. Well, I never hear them yelling at Islam and how they treat their women. If you live in an Islamic nation, you can't go to school, you can't read a book. Matter of fact, nobody can even see your hair. see we just got to say it because here's the thing we can't stand in the land of our birth and watch the devil overthrow it and not take a stand and say something about it this morning so love love and judge the word judge the third word this morning I'm having fun with this one it's the word grace. <laughs> How many know we're saved by grace? Yes, we are. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. Hallelujah. Now, grace has been hijacked not just by culture. But grace has been hijacked by what I call the church light movement. You know what the church light movement is? Tastes great, but not very filling. The church light light movement has turned grace into this passive word, that grace is just this permissible passive word that God is overlooking. God's looking the other way. God just tolerates your mess and my mess in our lives. In other words, it puts God in this passive role where God just sits back and everything's okay and he overlooks every aspect of our lives that we don't have to yield to the word of God, our purpose in our heart like Daniel did. But that grace, let me tell you, when grace saved me, it was anything but passive in my life. Grace chased me down. It chased you down. It found me in my hiding place. It found, uh, and it, it found, uh, it threw the devil off of me. And it, it diminished the darkness and brought me out of darkness. Grace is aggressive. Grace is violent. It's the violent commandment of the demonstration of the love of God to bring you and me out. That's what grace does. Grace is a, really, it is a strong word. Grace is a word, it means that God reached down and found you. He reached down and found me. He went after you. He chased you. He pulled you out of where you were. Delivered you from every aspect of darkness in your life. That's not a passive word. That's an aggressive word. Grace is not looking the other way. Grace is God staring life into the face. Grace is not God throwing his hands up. Grace is God rolling up his sleeves and coming after you. Grace is saying, I'm coming in there for you. I'm not leaving you like you are and where you're at. I'm not leaving you in that place of bondage or darkness. Grace is coming in and pulling you out of where you are into a place of redemption. Grace is David pulling the lamb out of the mouth of a lion. Grace is Moses standing before Pharaoh saying, let my people go. Grace is Jesus going to hell and snatching the keys of death and life out of the devil's hands. Grace is our God, is aggressive. And he breaks every demonic spirit off of our life. But sometimes we just reduce the grace of God down to just tolerating, tolerating our lives. Yes, he loves, you, loves us, When we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us. He believed in us when we couldn't believe in ourselves. How many know the love of God and the grace of God is committed to bringing us out of whatever we are involved in? He'll break down walls, he'll rearrange cities, he'll send somebody in on your behalf because grace is not just a passive word. It's an aggressive word. Think about how you got saved. How the Lord worked in your life, led people into your life, worked in your life, brought you around to the place to where you realized you needed Jesus and you needed redemption in your life. God working by grace, coming after you. Now me know God is working in this hour. God is working in this hour. Grace is still available for those who will just put their trust in Him this morning. And so grace is not just a flippant word. Grace is a powerful word. It is a powerful word this morning. I said grace is a powerful word this morning. I'm thankful for the grace of God. I hope you're thankful for the grace of God. And then finally, we have the word tolerance this morning. The problem is the spirit of this land, the spirit that's over this land, creates a climate for tolerance. And let let me just say this. The devil has used tolerance as a one-way street. You say, well, what do you mean by that? One-way street. Christians are supposed to tolerate everybody else, but we are not tolerated. Y'all hear me? Tolerance is not a one-way street. It's not, okay, I got to give you an example because the gay community says this, says if a person somewhere in their life Say to themselves, I've been living a lie, and I want to come out, and I want to be gay. I want to be happy. I want to be gay. <laughs> and uh, they, they should feel they have the freedom to do so, right? I mean, people have, rule over their own spirit. The Bible says a man rules over his own spirit. He's going to do what he wants to do, right? And so he can do that, but... It's a one-way street because what happens is if somebody says or visits a church and they realize that they hear a message about Jesus and they stand up and say, I realize I've been living a lie and I don't want to be gay anymore, Right? Well, the world says, well, they're not allowed to do that. You're just brainwashing them, right? And the truth is this morning, the culture has used tolerance as a one-way street. That it's one way, that traffic only flows from heterosexual to gay. It doesn't flow from gay to heterosexual. It only goes one way. In other words, it's saying, we tolerate everybody but Christians. That's the culture. If you're, if you're even breathing today, you understand that. We tolerate everything but what a believer believes in. You know, years ago, um, I, I think me and Laura was dating, and uh, I was over in the east side of Cincinnati, And I was working and I was over there, and I stopped and I ate lunch. And I can't think of the life of me where I ate lunch. But I was eating lunch, and I had a a New Testament Bible I was reading while I was eating lunch. There was a lady and her husband who went to the manager of the restaurant to ask me to put away my Bible because it was offensive to them. And so I was young in the Lord. I wish I had that day over again. I was young in the Lord. And I said, I'm not going to put away my Bible. So the manager moved me to another seat. (laughs) I should have gone in and sat at their table. (laughs) But I didn't. I didn't think much of it then. But as I thought about it over the years, I thought, man, oh, man. I went back, I told Pastor Keith, and he called the restaurant, (laughs) <laughs> he wasn't as tolerant as I was. You know? Right? Tolerance is a one way street. Unless you're a Christian, then, you have, then there's no tolerance for you. You know, it's kind of an example. I got to give you an example, right? So, Bruce Jenner comes out on the cover of Vanity Fair, right? He sets records. Matter of fact, he has the fastest, he is the, the record for the fastest person to meet one million Twitter followers. Like, who cares, right? Bruce Jenner, he's on the cover of Vanity Fair, dressed up as a woman. He's coming out. Everybody's clapping. Everybody's happy, right? Woman of the year. They said he was a hero. They said, this man is a hero. <laughs> I thought... But Tim Tebow, (laughs) who kneels on a football field, is vilified for throwing his Christianity in everybody's face. (laughs) Right? Y'all with me? Listen, this is the hour we're living in, folks. This is the day. I'm not being mean. I'm not being harsh. I'm just telling you. We're living in an hour. And maybe the reason why some of you are so quiet and why some of you don't share your faith is you're afraid of the backlash that comes for living your life outward and living your life in faith. Well, I think it's about time that we start living loud what we believe. Living loud how we feel. Not be ashamed of who we are in Christ Jesus. You don't want to be mean or you don't want to be of a mean spirit? I messed Christians so mean. <laughs> I wouldn't like them either. But let me just tell you this: I'd rather have Tim Tebow throwing his Christianity in my face than Bruce Jenner throwing his boobies in my face. <laughs> Pardon me. Forgive me, I don't mean to be so coy from the pulpit. But y'all know what I'm saying, right? Everything's got... (laughs) My wife didn't hear that, that's good. (laughs) But that's how it is. But until we say no, until we begin to deal with the spirit that is behind this thing, and the spirit that is on this land, I'm not going to be able to get all to it all tonight. I'll finish it Wednesday night for the four members that I have left that will be at church. (laughs) But the spirit is on the land. And the spirit that is on the land is, it's the spirit of Jezebel. And it's not gender specific. Some of you all know that. Let me tell you what the spirit of Jezebel is. It's the spirit of control, manipulation, and perversion. Its ultimate goal is to silence the prophetic voice, to control the land and the air, to control over the culture. Whoever controls the land and the air controls the culture. Jezebel got started because she wanted Naboth's vineyard, the land, and she wanted to silence Elijah's voice all the way to 2015. I just read an article. I just read an article that talked about how um, churches are beginning to be discriminated against in certain cities in America because the cities are beginning to pass zoning laws that exclude churches. So zoning laws that Churches um, are zoned out of certain areas of the city. That their buildings can only be so, so large. Their seating capacity can only be so much. And so, and I want to tell you, Jezebel is behind the spirit of that thing. You know where that comes from? People who sit at Jezebel's table and eat her food and eat from her table In the midst of famine, there was no king in Israel. Jezebel rewards those who uphold her. I want to tell you, there's a spirit in America that's upholding the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of Jezebel, manipulation, control. And I want to tell you, the spirit that's holding it up, the media holds up the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel. They're the prophets that sit at her table, the false prophets that sit at her table. See, Jezebel don't care if you prophesy as long as you're sitting at her table. And you begin to prophesy what she wants you to say. But I'm here to tell you, just like in Elijah's day, I'm here to tell you that there is a voice that the spirit of Jezebel can't control. And that's the spirit of Elijah being released into the body of Christ. In the midst of famine, Jezebel had all the food, she had all the provision, but God fed Elijah by a raven and by a widow woman. God says it doesn't matter who controls. I'll sustain the church even if I have to use a raven and a widow woman. The church will survive. I'm telling you, we're going to make it. But what happens is the false prophets are fed by Jezebel and these passive agree, those who are passive agree with the culture, these pastors, these bishops, these teachers, these vicars of faith. The spirit of the media will reward you and call you a hero. And really, they're not heroes. The media will call you enlightened and say you're progressive and you're accepting and educated and loving. I got news for you this morning. Jezebel may be feeding all the false prophets. She may be feeding them and highlighting them. But I want to tell you, underneath, she's wicked. She's nasty. She's ugly. The spirit of assassination, manipulation, control. God says, if I find the prophet, God says, I'll take care of him. I'll support him. God will be the one that takes care of them. God will be the one that sustains for them. Our hope is not in a government this morning. Our hope is not in a media this morning. They can take away whatever they want to try to take away this morning. God's got some ravens and some widow women that are willing to protect and keep the church alive, even in the midst of famine. You all with me this morning? you with me, say Amen. God will take what's in our hand and speak to a nation and speak to a city. He'll take what's in our hand. Pastor Adam, if you'll come this morning. I'm telling you, this is an hour like Daniel. We can't give in. We can't give in. We have to resist. We have the purpose in our heart that we will not eat the delicacies of the king's table. We will not allow, we will not allow the word of God to be compromised. We draw a line in the sand. We're going to face the culture with truth regardless of what the price and the cost may be. Are you all with me this morning? I mean, come on. Somebody's got to get real this morning. Somebody in the church has got to catch fire and say, "Hey, this is a season when the church should be the church. Come on, release love back into the community. Release grace back in the community. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Stand with me if you would this morning. The last night of our CGIA meeting, they had a tag team preachers preaching, and, and uh, the whole service, the Spirit of the Lord was on me, and I just cried the whole service. I don't even know why I did. I just cried. I just just cried. It was one of the best CGIA meetings we've ever had, and they've been doing them for years, and they brought in big name people to speak, Perry Stone, John Kilpatrick. I mean, they brought in big names before, and, and you know they've all been good. But I want to tell you, they just used guys just out of our conference to just get up and preach, just natural guys just to get up and preach. And it was one of the best, the best conferences we ever had. But the last night, I just began to cry. And the reason I cried was the testimony of my friend Brian Gibson. And you all heard me talk about Brian. I went to CHOP with him in Washington. We went to California to stand with him. Uh, the churches out there, Rob McCoy, and, and uh, went to Philadelphia with him. And uh, he's been, went to D.C. with him. And uh, he started telling this testimony. He said, on the January 5th, they had a uh, revival, revival for America rally. January 5th in Washington, D.C. He said they set up and they played music worship. And he said, I don't know how many people were there. He said it was close to 10, 12, 15,000. I don't know. He said it was as far as you could see. He said they worshiped. And he got up and he preached the gospel. I mean, just preached the gospel. He said half of that crowd responded to make a decision for Christ. Right there in our nation's, right at our nation's capital, right beside the White House there. And he said people were coming to the altar and giving their lives to Jesus. He said it was, it was, a, it was absolutely amazing. The next day was January 6th. We're all, know January 6th. I was there that day. We were there. And he said uh, there was a guy that comes to a lot of these rallies and things and You've seen him on TV. I've seen him on TV. I saw him in CHOP. It's this guy that wears the Wolfman gear. If you remember, he, he broke into the Capitol, and he was at Nancy Pelosi's speaker's desk, and, you know, he was this wolf man all dressed up in this fur, and you've seen him. Well, while we were in, in CHOP, Brian took a picture with him, a selfie with him, and uh, just because he thought the guy was just weird, and he was, and, uh, and so he posted it on his social media. Well, on January 6th, after January 6th, after all the things that happened at the Capitol, all of these antifas and those that were on, the, on there that day that him and, and um, uh, uh, Brother Locke preached, uh, they began to circulate on social media that Brian Gibson and this guy was the ringleaders to the insurrection at the Capitol. They begin to move that on social media. All of a sudden, Brian started getting these death threats. from his. They found his phone number. They were calling him. They were calling his wife. They started giving him death threats. They called his church on a Sunday. They got 1,500 phone calls of death threats at his church. That's not exaggerating. 1,500 phone calls. They broke into his motel, destroyed his stuff. They broke into his house, ravaged his house. He ended up having to sell his house and move to another location. And for like 10 days, him and his family had to go somewhere to be out of the way because people were just trying. They, they, they vandalized their cars. They left messages of death to his children and family. All because he got up and he shared Jesus to a world that needed Christ. And as he talked about it, he just began to weep. I could could feel the heaviness and the brokenness in his heart. And I, I could feel it too. I thought, I don't know what I would do. And somebody said, well, Brian, do you think it was worth it? He said every minute of it was worth it. Because there's people today that if they died, they'll be with the Lord in heaven. That makes it worth it. Church, we're living in an hour. I may not have communicated it very well this morning, but I wanted to get it in your spirit. There is a battle. There is a fight for righteousness There's a fight. There's a spirit that's over this land that's trying to destroy the church and everything we stand for. We've got to be like Daniel and stand and say, I'm going to purpose in my heart not to defile God or to go against his word this morning. I'm just going to give you a very simple altar call this morning and I'm going to just pray over over you. I'm not going to lay hands on you or anything this morning. But if you'll say, Pastor, I need that spirit of resolve in my life this morning. I need, I need to, be a, to have that anointing on my life to stand and not be ashamed and to begin to stand against those things that come against the kingdom and the principles of God this morning. I need a stronger faith. I need a stronger anointing and ability to stand strong. I need the word of God in my spirit in my heart and i want to be a i want i want to be someone that's not silent i don't want to live in culture shock but i want to live with truth spilling out of my mouth with fire in my life and joy permeating in my life you'd say i need a fresh touch of god i want you to come this morning down to this altar and just stand down here and say god i want more i want to be stronger i don't want to give in to this world i don't want to compromise anymore Some of you, God, grace chased you down and found you this morning. Because I'm here to tell you that anything that you try to do for God, the enemy is going to come at you. He's going to come at you. He's going to send people after you. He's going to try to disrupt everything that God is trying to do in your life. And I'm here to tell you that if you'll just be like Daniel, And understand, God's got the remote this morning. (laughs) God's got the remote this morning. I'm going to pray over you this morning. And I'm just going to release faith and fire into you. The power of strength and joy. Father, just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I just pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would come on these that have come forward this morning. That God, that they have resolved and purposed in their heart that God, they're all in for you. They're all in. No compromise. We'll go where you say go. We'll do what you say do. We're not going to let the enemy distort our lives, distort our thinking, misidentify us, put reputation on us that's not us. But I pray that there'll be a fire that comes on each of these at the altar this morning. There'll be a a conviction, an anointing that would fall on them this morning that's greater than what they've ever experienced. We thank you, God, that we're not defined by this world. We're not defined by this culture. But we're defined by who you are and who we are in Christ Jesus. And we are the church And I'm going to say it loud enough so the devil can hear it. We are the church this morning. And we belong to him. And we are his this morning. So the enemy's been defeated. The enemy's been defeated. Let there be fire and strength on everyone as they speak and testify. Let the word of God get down in them and be strong and be rooted, oh God. Let their homes and their families, their businesses, their workplaces be full. When they walk in the room, let there be a tangible presence of God that follows them and is around them and protects them and keeps them. Let every dart of the enemy burn out and go another way. And God, we thank you this morning that though we recognize there's a famine in this land, we are God's people and God... You can send ravens and widows to feed the church and to make sure the church has what it needs, God. And we thank you, God, for the anointing that are on these that have come this morning. Let it be tangible this week. Let them feel your presence with them. Let there be a difference in them throughout this week. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.